Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Kvitova captures her maiden Miami crown. Medvedev wins his fourth title of the year. And Wimbledon lifts ban on Russians and Belarusians. Kim, Chris, today is the 3rd of April and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. The Miami Open has come to a close and we have two champions, Daniel Medvedev and Petra Kvitova. Novak Djokovic is back to world number one. He wasn't even there in the Sunshine Double and he's gone back up the rankings to the top spot. I mean, guys, I'm not going to lie. I feel a little disappointed that last week we were talking about the Sunshine Double and dare I say, it looked on the cards that we were going to get repeat champions for the first time in a very long time. But sadly, it has not happened. We definitely hyped that up too much, didn't we? <laughs> uh, so it was not to be. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't the sunniest of, of weeks either, was it? Quite a bit of rain. I mean, Sunshine Double, particularly this year, I think, has been very, very questionable given sunshine the amount of rain. Sunshine Single, could we have? Mm. The Sunshine and Water du- Rain Double? No, no, that's that's a bit that's a bit rubbish. But yeah, but yeah I feel like Miami this year ha- was affected by rain way more than I've ever um, has experienced as you know just watching it on TV and seeing so many so many delays occur well that means they don't have a roof so um, they're pretty stuck when it when it does rain uh, I mean it's just an interesting setup like where the tournament mm. is you know they have to build like a stadium within a stadium so it, it's quite a unique uh, sort of entity in itself but I mean, we had some great tennis regardless once players could get on onto court, which we'll get onto, you know, in, in just a, a moment. But um, there's been some amusing things uh, flying around in the tennis world, um, aside from from kind of on court, <laughs> hasn't there, Joel? You you were sending mo- both me and Chris a lot of uh, storylines over the weekend, getting really excited. And then you, you realised not long after that a lot of them were april fools yeah. um do you on. feel a bit sort hang of, on you were uh, getting me confused you were getting me confused with chris chris was the one i don't know what you mean who was getting fully duped by fake uh, tennis headlines on, on april so 1st. believable joel the muguruza retiring yeah. one i thought this makes <laughs> sense and then after that she basically put something out saying that she's not going to be back until you know the us open and and the hard court swing then and she's had some pretty bad results over there so i think maybe that wasn't an april fool after <laughs> After all, it was a foreshadowing. It's as good a retirement as any, yeah. What, what, what ones have we had this year then, guys, if, if our listeners haven't been privy to them? On- oh, Serena, come back. I actually almost sent that to someone. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah, you can see that happening, can't you? Well, um, the one the one I really enjoyed was from the US Open. Uh, I clocked this one on Instagram. They uh, came out with breaking news 
players will be permitted to use artificially intelligent coaching at the 2023 US Open. So I was already, you know, excited. I was envisaging, you know, Nick Kyrgios on court and, you know, in his corner was like a was a screen and it was like chat it was chat gp it was like you could answer ask some questions into chat gp and he was going to get some answers and then he was going to go on and win the tournament i was sort of envisaging maybe that could happen i mean that seems a little bit more like what patrick mortogolu gets up to at his academy where they seem to give you all of those <laughs> those updates you know in, in covid they had that but i could see that happen i think eventually i'm curious to know like a player asking asking some questions that they would ask a coach to chat gp to see what see what the see what could the be next are. gen finals we could see that oh, sort of thing yeah. yes yeah. Any like April that's April Fools by any sort of tennis outlet could just be a an innovation or a trial well, at, i'm gonna at be a lot more finals. ready for next year because i also saw the itf said that the new rules say you have to hit at least one underarm serve per match <laughs> oh and that was when i knew oh, that's no. when i knew it was april 1st but before that i believed everything no, I could believe that next gen finals, but yeah, that that's quite a yeah, that was quite an interesting one. I know. I mean, listeners, let us know if if there are any April Fools that you saw in the tennis world that you believed, even just for a split second. Let us know because yeah, I'm I'm more, I'm saying now, Chris was hundred percent let down the garden path by Muguruza. I got it all wrong. I should have put something up on our socials, shouldn't I? I should have on tennis month, tennis yearly. We should have been renamed one podcast once a year. <laughs> It's got me thinking if we did produce one podcast a year, what would we put in it? And would it be like 15 hours long? It would long? be a quiz. It would be a quiz, surely. <laughs> Just one oh. quiz. Oh, we, should, we should have done one. Next year. Oh, well, my highlight of the week is slightly less uh, fun, shall we say? Although I think it's going to be an interesting watch. Um, and that is, uh, there's been news that uh, there's a new documentary out on the scene. Uh, it's about Boris Becker. Uh, it's about his rise and fall. And um, we've had news of this released, I think, just today, actually. Um, so Oscar winning director Alex Gibney is charting the uh, sort of history of Boris Becker, which we all know ended in uh, disarray kind of quite recently with him being sent off to prison uh, for tax uh, fraud and financial, mm. you know, malpractice. Um, but Alex Gibney, for anyone who has previously seen some of his documentaries, he's done quite a few. Um, he's did The Armstrong Lie, which is about Lance Armstrong. I found that pretty fascinating when I saw that about 10 years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm down for this. I think a good kind of scandalous behind the scenes documentary. Um, I think it'd be a great watch. So I'm looking forward to this. It's coming out later this week on Apple TV. So I just need to find someone who's got an Apple TV so I can actually watch <laughs> Don't it. Don't worry, Kim. But... Got you covered. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thanks, Chris. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I think it's going to be a good watch. Um, it's called Boom Boom, The World versus Boris boom, Becker. Boom. Wow. Um, yeah. There's and a I lot think... to pack into that, Kim. He certainly has got an <laughs> entertaining is. story yeah. from cupboards in Nobu, prison, running yeah. out of money. All sorts. Goodness. And is it, well, is it going to be a better watch than Roger Federer going around Switzerland on a train? Well, Chris is here to tell us. I, I'm also here to correct the, the, the uh, what I t- spoke about last week. I think it was made out to feel like it was a bit of an epic, but I think that was a ploy by the tourist, tourist board sorry, of um, 
Switzerland. It was actually three minutes and 46 seconds. <laughs> oh, what? Um, oh, no. What a letdown. And I think that the real thing I should have realised is that the director's actually retired from filmmaking, the director of Cats. Um, Did he retire because of Cats? I do think it that is so the case. And that's why he's doing adverts now. <laughs> so I should have known this couldn't be that long. It wasn't going to be feature right. length. But it all makes sense now. For anyone who watched it, it's very entertaining. I won't ruin the whole plot for you, but... <laughs> Um, let's just say that Roger Federer and Trevor Noah were not very good at boarding a train and then hilarity ensues. So it was very, um, very entertaining, very short. And I'm hoping there'll be a part two. But the hashtag I need Switzerland is something that I think everyone should use because, I mean, of all hashtags, that is quite funny. I need Switzerland. Um, <laughs> it doesn't quite seem to make sense to me. It's a sequel them getting off a train then if the first one's about them getting I think on every a train. time it's just going to be them getting on a different train in switzerland so i think they oh. were about to board the next one but sounds the like the time. hashtag should have been uh, i need a train ticket or something more than well, they actually uh, didn't I need have switzerland. a train ticket i mean it's like you've already seen it and some yeah. elderly lady had to oh sorry spoiler uh, alert listeners spoiler yeah sorry alert. spoiler alert for anyone who didn't make it through the three minutes <laughs> and 46 seconds um they did not purchase a ticket um someone purchased it for them but very enjoyable nonetheless at least their trains aren't on strike out in Switzerland, That's it would a great seem. Point. Um, <laughs> well, on to the tennis, because uh, we have had some tennis in Miami, uh, despite the rain. And we have had, yeah, new champions. Uh, Indian Wells champions were not able to do the Sunshine Double. Uh, and we've had Petra Kvitova and Daniel Medvedev winning the titles out in Miami. Let's start with the women first, because Petra Kvitova... Uh, is the champion. She ended Elena Rabakina's 13-match win streak. Um, and this is now Kvitova's ninth WTA 1,000-level title, her 30th title overall in her career. And she's now back in the top 10 of the rankings. So a really, really positive last fortnight for Petra Kvitova. Uh, straight sets in the final, it was 7-6, 6-2. Um, they had a bit of a battle in that first yeah, set in the tie, break, tie break. But... Kvitova kind of, you know, comfortable in that second set. Um, kind of resting, yeah, on that tie break, really. Kvitova had, had to say five set points um, and then sort of never really looked back. Chris, um, did this surprise you? How well Kvitova was playing and how, you know, how she was able to, you know, put Rebecca away, who obviously has been in amazing form of late? I have to say it is surprising. I think everyone was pretty pleased that, you know, that she was able to to do this because she is so popular on the tour and such a popular champion. Um, I did not predict this. I don't think anyone did. And it sounds like Kvitova didn't by the interview she did on court afterwards when um, Daniela Hanchikova asked her when we had that coffee uh, in the week, I don't think either of us thought this would happen. And she goes, no, I had no idea. It came out of nowhere. Um, so she's as confused as everyone else is. But I think the thing that um, really stood out from this match for me is that she probably shouldn't have edged that first set. And I think that was the real key here. Um, looking at some of the, the numbers and what, again, is kind of a, a running theme is that despite the ace count for Rebecca, that first serve percentage needs to come up. Um, she never really gets over 60%. This was 57%. It was a little bit lower in the second set as well. Um, obviously, she wins a lot of points behind it. Um, whereas kind of on the other side of things, um, Kvitova served probably the best I've seen her serve in years. I mean, it was almost 80% of first serve, 76% um, first serves in and 79% and of first serves won and 75% of second serves. So I think a lot of talk was about the fact that Kvitova does have one of the best second serves on tour. 
Um, and I think she just showed exactly why, you know, she's so dangerous because she does have some really big weapons. And every now and again, when she's kind of on top form, she does this sort of thing. And it's kind of pretty, um, pretty spectacular to watch. And she's a lefty as well. Um, I think, you know, Rabakina, you know, was was struggled, I think, to, to kind of deal with that unique proposition, you know. On the second serve, maybe especially. Exactly. And, um, you know, Chris, as you said, I think the second serve was a real big difference looking at the the numbers. Um, 75% um, second serve points won by Kvitova was, is, you know, outstanding by, by anyone's uh, measurements. But um, yeah, for me, it's it's amazing, I think, to to see this. I'm surprised, I feel like, as, as everyone else. But at the same time, I don't feel like I, I should be because, you know, we know her, her prowess on the tour. I think there have been questions maybe of, you know, has she almost become part of like the old guard you know like she, I've put her in that generation of kind of you know the Victoria Azarenkas and you know this tournament very much was focused on that new guard in terms of oh who's going to win this is it Rabakina is it Sabalenka is it going to be you know some someone else but to see it come from someone like Petra who is such a I feel like a universally appreciated player who has had her ups and downs in in the past but is such a quality player that when she is able to bring that consistency and put it together across two weeks especially on this court surface which you know played into her game and her you know her big serving capabilities yeah still regardless of this new generation coming in no one was able to stop her yeah it was a super quick court and I think that definitely showed in terms of you know, we'll talk about Medvedev later on, but he really liked the speed the ball was going through the court in comparison to Indian Wells. So obviously a very different surface. One question I was going to ask you both is something that Kavita has always spoken about is that um, she doesn't actually practice that much. Um, and it seems to be the reason for the kind of, she cites it as the reason for the longevity of her career. Um, and she actually said after this one, maybe I'll just um, not ever practice and just play matches because <laughs> she seems to be able to kind of bring it um, despite not always practicing or kind of giving herself these days off and it feels like maybe a lot of players have gone a little bit too far in terms of how much they're practicing and kind of burning a bit too much energy whereas Kvitova was almost kind of from the days of Fred Perry where you um, have a nice coffee in the club and then off you go um, and pick up a racket and see how it goes on the day but I think there's something really interesting about the fact that's such a stark contrast to how every other player is communicating about how they practice and how they train. Yeah, I think it's a more sustainable approach and it's more likely to lead to greater longevity because you're you're not burning yourself out. You're just doing, I guess, what feels right for you and your body. Mm. Um, you know, as long as you maintain a, a high level of fitness somehow, but does that have to be necessarily churning out hours on the practice court? You know, there are other ways of getting that in. So I think that's a really healthy attitude. Um, you know, she's 33 years old now, but you know, this is the 13th time she's played this tournament and, you know, she's finally won it and she's the oldest champion here since Serena, who won it back in 2015. So I think her approach seems to be paying off given the result we've we've had here. I think, you know, with Kvitova, she's had so many big moments, I think, in her career. She's got so much experience to draw upon that I definitely think it it compensates for, you know, just grinding away I don't think you know I agree I don't think it necessarily is the right approach for everyone you know you talk about Chris Holgeruna I was thinking about him exactly with this he lives and breathes tennis like you know 20 24 7 and it just shows that there's not just one way I think to uh you know reach the reach the top of your game you've got to 
figure it out yourself. And I think for players like Kvitova, I probably again put Azarenka in, in that category as well, that they take a more laid back and, and chilled approach. She would train a lot, I'd imagine. Oh, do you think? I think she's always been known as being a super hard worker on the court. But then I think, some, for example, like maybe, you know, someone like uh, Emma Raducanu should do more of the mm. conditioning, less of the hitting, you know, because yeah. of the mm. fact that um, there are some difficulties there. Keep it but, in the gym. I mean, it must be quite funny. She does. This is one quote that I'll say that I think is quite funny because she says that she... Um, she says, I think it's tough for coaches that they can't really put the work with me, uh, work in with me on the court. And I just think it must be so funny. She's like, no, not today. But it definitely allows her to keep her passion is what she said. And her passion is playing tennis and competing. So I think passion is something that uh, is underrated when it comes to uh, the sport, because I think it's so easy to lose it. I think Stefano Sitsipas was an example of that last year. You know, he was playing so often and training so much that... You know, you can see almost the life had been drained out of him a little bit. I mean, if you were a coach, would that frustrate you? You know, Kvitova's mentality of actually, I didn't want to spend as little hours on the practice courts as possible. Yes, I'll do my work in the gym and, and keep my conditioning up. But if you were a coach, would that would that frustrate you, that, that, that mentality and that approach? That's a tricky one. Depends how much you're getting paid. If you're getting paid the same amount, you're actually having there to turn go, up Kim. there. Have a few more days off. I think I'd prefer to work with Petra Kvitova yeah, myself. Yeah, you could enjoy her on her days off, and um, you'd have think, a coffee with her. Yeah, I think you'd have to figure <laughs> out, though, wouldn't you? Because <laughs> if her trajectory is going to be winning a, t- a few tournaments every year, having incredible results, rather than three tournaments in three weeks, so I think you're working for different goals, aren't you? So you've got to get the right coach, and um, clearly she has in in her coach, who's also her fiance. I mean, just just on that, does this change your kind of approach for, for Kvitova and your kind of levels of expectation from her for the rest of the year. I think I heard her in an interview say she's now got like no uh, expectations, you know, moving forward. And we're coming up to the, the, the clay swing, which I would have said is not as ideal for her as maybe like the grass court season, you know, beyond that. But with this result, are you do you think it's like, yeah, I knew she could do it and she, and she's done it. Uh, or do you think she can kick on for him here and go, you know, he even higher than just, you know, getting into the top 10, maybe even top five? I think she could do it. She's been there before. Um, certainly for Wimbledon, she's always a contender having won it twice before. And, you know, I mean, she hasn't won it for 10 years, but you've got to always include her in the conversation. So I'm not so sure about the clay, but certainly when it comes to the grass, if, if she's still in reasonable form and is obviously fit and healthy, I would definitely be including mm. her in like... Possibly like, yeah, top five candidates for the title, given her, her form there. Yeah, and she has won Madrid three times. The only player to win Madrid three times. That's true. Um, yeah. So there yeah. could be a result on clay. She's reached semi-finals of the French, was her last semi-final. That was in the October year. But um, again, it's just who knows where she's going to peak next, I think is what she's kind of saying, right? It doesn't sound like I she knows. I think that's knows. healthy, though. <laughs> Lack of, yeah, I think having less expectation is on yourself, you know, um, it's, it's the way to go, be more relaxed. And she was able to put up with anything that Elena Rabakina threw at her, including that that epic tie break. I think Kvitova said it was the longest tie break she's ever played. Um, so 16-14. And funnily enough, in the women's doubles final, they actually uh, had the, exactly the same score, not in the tie break, but in the match. It was a 7-6-6-2 win. That was for Coco Goff and Jessie Bagu. So they won beating Taylor.
Leila Townsend and Leila Fernandez. But um, yeah, interesting uh, chat actually after the doubles final with with Goff and Pagula. They were talking about trash talking, um, like on the on the women's tour and also the men's tour, but more so the women's tour. And how it isn't really a thing in tennis, um, but they were both kind of up for it being a thing. Um, c- can you see? Can, I mean, can you see it becoming a thing? Do you think this is what we want in tennis? You know, it's it definitely isn't the same atmosphere as like basketball um, and other kind of sports. So I'm I'm not sure about it myself. But Joel, I feel like this would be kind of up your street. I feel like Absolutely. you'd love to see a bit more banter. Absolutely, the more <laughs> the more trash talk the better. I think it'll get more and more people engaged. I think we're entering this new era of like content in relation to tennis. We've seen with like the, you know, the Breakpoint Netflix series. Mm. And I I do genuinely think as, you know, you either love it or hate it, but you've seen, you know, in relation to kind of like Nick Kyrgios and how he gets people interested in tennis from outside of the, the tennis sphere. Again, I think trash talk is probably another mechanism or another way that if I think done and delivered in the right way, um, again, I think it can bring new levels, I think, to rivalries and competitions that, yeah, potentially haven't really been surfaced as much on the on the women's tour um, in the past. I will say I feel like you see it more in team events and I've really enjoyed that sort of friendly banter rivalry. You see it like, for example, United Cup when they're all on the bench together and I, I like it in those environments and I, I think you see it more there, but on an individual level, I certainly think it has a space, but it does, I think, need to be handled delicately in the sense that I don't want it to become like sledging in cricket where it feels too, it feels like too personal or an attack on someone that um, is going to be too, is like almost overly critical. That's what um, Pagula said, actually, Joel. She said that the girls tend to kind of get a little bit too personal with it, which doesn't know why, because it's kind of that whole spirit of the college basketball side of stuff that she's talking about and that Coco's a really big fan of as well. And they're always kind of having kind of comments with each other and they're doing it like in, in good fun. But um, Pagula said it's kind of like it all kind of rests on the handshake. <laughs> that's, that's what happens on the WTA tour. That I, I think the they handshake. should mic up. They should properly mic up. The, I think people would the love handshake that. more yeah, yeah like handshake handshake sorry handshake mic or or something um i guess I, I guess one other thought i just had is i know coco goff and jesse pagula are talking i feel like about everyone knows women's basketball and, and trash talk in that but there's probably a bit of cultural barriers there of as course. well like what someone thinks is trash talk in america is probably completely different to what are the levels of acceptability, let's say, for example, in Australia, where you might have seen it in the cricket in terms of like sledging growing up. So it might be that I feel like would need to be overcome or or like, you know, almost like some set of ground rules of right, guys, this is what is trash oh, talk. I love a rule this book, is not Joel. what is trash talk. I'm happy I know. to pull together the WTA trash talk <laughs> handbook. Oh, <laughs> yes. Get a guidebook together. I can't see a rule book being created for how much like, you know, is this is this offensive on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> on a how scale much of one we'll to allow, doesn't have many tools. We'll allow one to three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't see that being a thing. But um, yeah, it was quite interesting to hear their perspective on it. Um, but maybe they'll have to get their trash talking in some other way. Uh, maybe on the practice court. Uh, but Kvitova won't be involved with that, of course. No, she's nowhere um, to be found. <laughs> <laughs> she can trash people over coffee, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... You said trash talking happens more on the men's side. I'm not sure if there would be any trash talking in the Daniel Medvedev Yannick's in a final. Um, it was 
pretty standard. It was seven five six three for Daniel Medvedev. So um, he's back to winning ways. His fourth title of the year, um, and his his well his fifth final in as many tournaments actually. Um, so straight sets over Yannick Sinner. Um, Sinner obviously got the better of Carlos Alcaraz in the semi-final, so he was able to get revenge uh, over the Indian Wells um, defeat, but wasn't able to really challenge Daniel Medvedev too much in the final. I think he was probably a bit knackered after the the Alcaraz match, which did make it a bit of a shame, um, and he wasn't feeling very well. Um, so Joel, did, did you think it was quite disappointing final because of how Sinner was was feeling or do you think Medvedev was just going to be too strong anyway yeah I think if you look at the the head-to-heads I think regardless of if Sinner was was fully fit or not um I think Medvedev was good was going to come through was going to come through as the victor I know that yeah Sinner before you know afterwards said he wasn't feeling a hundred percent um but you know decided to give it a go anyway I mean it still feels like for Sinner this has been a fantastic week for him avenging that loss to Carlos Alcaraz I mean that rivalry is just blossoming and blossoming and everyone is absolutely loving it but yeah for Medvedev he for me is now you know he's a hard court specialist um, which I find a completely fascinating sort of position because I feel like growing up we never really spoke about hard court specialists you know we talked about clay specialists we might talk about grass court specialists but I do genuinely feel that you know all these tournaments that that Medvedev wins you look at the lack of tournaments he's won on other surfaces to me he is in this kind of category of hardcore specialist that is going to make it very interesting I think now heading into the the clay swing because I think we know how good he is and maybe it's only Novak Djokovic or even a Carlos Alcaraz that could could defeat him on the hard but um I certainly think all the young pretenders Yannick Sinner and everyone else they still can't really deal with the the octopus like Medvedev from the back of the tennis court. Yeah, he's now won five of the six hardcore Masters mm. 1000 events that we have, and he's got to the final in Indian Wells. So, you know, he's almost done a clean sweep of all the hardcore Masters. Um, four titles already this year, which he, he did uh, back in, I think, 2019 and, and 2021 as well. Um, so he's kind of back up to to those years where he's had really excellent results. Um, but this final, yeah, he'd never lost to Sinner before and he didn't really look like that was going to to happen. Would you agree that Medvedev is a hard court specialist or do you just think he's a very good, very good tennis player? I think he's always been. I think both. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't think you could say he's not a very good tennis player when mm. he's been world number one, won a Grand Slam. Um, you know, be some top players. Not all and court, though, is it him, I'd say. No, Does it's it matter? not naturally okay. all court. Does it yeah. matter that he is, at the moment, I think, being pigeonholed into a hardcourt specialist? I mean, there's a lot of hardcourt tournaments He can play on grass, I would say. I don't know. I think, I feel like it's Kim and, Kim and myself in defence of Medvedev, but I think he, <laughs> he does well. He won Mallorca last year. Um, yeah. There's no reason why his game wouldn't be great on grass. I think... They obviously don't play too dissimilar. And you look at some of the tennis greats. I mean, someone like um, Pete Sampras, you know, never a clay quarter um, in the same sense that he ch- the heights that he achieved, you know, on some of the the other surfaces. So he it, I, he is definitely uh, the one of the best on hard courts and he is his preferred surface. Um, I think his return position lends itself most to that. I think his whole game is kind of built around being that sort of, defensive player that turns around the points. I think something I saw from the stats this week was that um, his steal score, which is where you calculate how often a player wins the point from a defensive position, um, was at 55% for set one. 
Uh, and bear in mind, the tour average is 32%. Um, and so I think it's kind of really clear that he's probably the best defensive player on hardcore, I think, and one of the best counterpunchers. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see if he does start to play a bit more front foot, a bit like Carlos Alcaraz. Um, but no, I think obviously a great tennis player can play in any court. And who knows, maybe he'll pick up a few points on clay and bump himself even further at the rankings. Yeah, he couldn't play clay last year, really, because he had that operation. So he wouldn't really see him have a clay season. So it will be really interesting if he can maintain clay his Videv. form. <laughs> clay Videv, Daniel Clay Videv. Um, and then going on to Wimbledon, which he will now be able to play, um, which we'll get on to later on. Um, can you see him going back up to world number one, given the fact that he's, he will have points to gain that he wasn't, you know, he didn't play last year. So he's he's got a lot of point potential coming up, hasn't he? It's tough because Novak Djokovic is number one. And if you also think about how little heat tennis he has been able to play, mm. it's 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 seriously, you know, that is also very, very impressive in, in, in different respects. So I do think that's going to be very tough, but it, it does feel like Medvedev has an opportunity to, yes, I think at least make an, an attack on, on Novak Djokovic um, at the top. I think Novak Djokovic now is just obviously just going to try and play as many tournaments and make up for as much lost time um, as he can. But the fact that he's come out, I think, of the Sunshine Double as world number one, it will probably, you know, motivate him to stay, you know, stay at the top where he should be. Just to clarify, because Alcaraz lost to Sinner in the semifinals, Novak Djokovic has gone back up to number one as of today. So they they keep, you know, it's backwards and forwards, isn't it, between the two of them. So despite not having played for for weeks, Djokovic is is back to world number one. Um, And actually, you know, just talking about that Sinner-Alcaraz match, I mean, do you think that's the best you've ever seen Yannick Sinner play? The fact that he was able to avenge that defeat. And, And like you said, Joel, that rivalry just keeps building. I saw some absolutely insane points um in the highlights and just you know ridiculous play it was it was a fantastic match but um obviously we we need Sinner to now show that in yeah. finals and against you know Novak and the likes of, of him as well yeah I think if there's maybe one thing I, I I would say is that he's still there's still a work in progress with his his body and and being physical enough to yeah I appreciate that was a really strong test against you know Alcaraz you know three plus hours but still being able to to get up and go again we saw with Daniel Medvedev you know the number of matches he has played over the last few months and have just gone from tournament to tournament he's probably almost feeling like a zombie getting into Miami I didn't think he actually had much expectations in terms of winning but he just know he just got into a knack of it and he knew how to to do it and I think with Yannick Sinner yeah, maybe I was a little bit disappointed he wasn't able to kick on or that is an improvement um, that he could make. But yeah, that rivalry for me is is blossoming and has been fantastic. You know, they've had some great battles at, at Grand Sam's, Wimbledon, US Open. And here it was again, just fully on show how how talented they are. And I again, how I think, how well I think Darren Cahill has been working with, with Yannick Sinner and the, and the benefits that he has brought to his game I mean you talk about all the the amazing points they played for me that point uh, I think 4-2 in the first set where Yannick Sinner hit a double-handed backhand um, cross court um, with with Alcaraz at the net to win that for me is probably already going to be point of the year um, Mm. given yeah just the athleticism both of those both those players showed and the heart they showed and I think that was important in a in a stadium that massive 
um, sellout crowd, expectations were high and they fully delivered on it. Absolutely. And both Medvedev and Sinner, just going back to the final, they are the, the tour leading players. They've got the most wins on the tour this, so far this mm. year. Novak Djokovic, of course, hasn't been able to play. He's, he's, you know, he's still only lost one match, so he's got the fewest defeats of the year. Going into the clay court season, he's going to be a lot f- fresher than the likes of Medvedev and Sinner who have been playing, you know, week in, week out. Um, so just before we move on to kind of the break, do you think that, Obviously, it's Novak Djokovic is Novak Djokovic. Doesn't really matter whether he's played a lot or little. Do you think that is going to have a factor? Do you think Medvedev is going to perhaps fatigue, or you know, he's he's peaked now? Will he be able to carry it through? Will Sinner be able to carry through this form onto the clay? That is interesting, though, Kim, because I think when it came to Djokovic rediscovering his form last year, he was playing quite a lot smaller tournaments, and I think. Not all of those tournaments was it kind of impeccable, kind of in the running. I think he obviously uh, that the match that jo- one of Joel's favourite matches that never finished, uh, Medvedev Djokovic in Kazakhstan mm. in uh, Astana, yeah. I think that was. Um, and I think it's he has to, you have to play yourself into form a little bit more. I think the further you kind of get down in, into your career, I think match fitness is obviously a very real thing. Um, you know, when you're younger, I think you can sometimes bounce back a bit better, a bit like Carlos has, and maybe that was a bit more of a um, a possibility there. Um, so I think Djokovic needs to play some matches. I don't think he wants to go into the into the French, you know, with the freshest legs. I think he wants to go in with an awful lot of confidence because even if you are Novak Djokovic, I still think um, going in with a, a win streak and having picked up a Masters title on clay will really kind of cement um, his position and kind of really kind of make it clear that he is the one to beat still. Yeah, well, we will see what uh, he does. But let's take a very quick break now. We'll be back in the second half discussing Wimbledon lifting their ban on Russian and Belarusian players, uh, the return of Alina Svitolina in Charleston, and also looking ahead to the rest of the action as the clay court swing very excitingly begins. So do not go anywhere. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And we're going to move on to a par for the courts. Uh, Chris has got one for both myself and Joel. Um, I don't think we're doing the years uh, this week. Um, Listeners would be pleased to know. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of criticism. I heard a lot of criticism about uh, my instructions uh, for for last week's par for the courts. So... Felt like the end of year quiz, didn't it, Kim? It felt like I might have to take that back to the drawing board. 
it's a work in progress we'll refine it as we go <laughs> it's along. a memory it's game you know it's brain training for us all um well, this one hopefully won't require uh, any dates. It does require some locations. Ooh. We are looking at um, the ATP European Outdoor Clay Tournaments. And we're going to be doing a back and forth Ooh. where you have to name. I will be very lenient here. Um, you're able to give me the city or the title of the tournament um, for some of them. There are 17 in total. Oh, um, interesting. On European outdoor clay. Chris, before we get into this, I had a path of the courts up my sleeve that was also geographically based, but it wasn't what you have suggested. So I might keep that up my sleeve for next week. Now, do we believe him, Kim? Or do you think it's exactly <laughs> what he suggested? He's going to get all the right answers. <laughs> It's just making me think of a time when Joel, I think, quoted the coordinates of an event in Kazakhstan on the podcast. <laughs> and I was like, do you actually know that? Or are you just reading off yeah. something? And it was just quite amazing. I am, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit, I am a little location. bit worried because I definitely know that Kim's knowledge of geography is far stronger than, far, far stronger than mine. Well, yeah, we know, we know that is it bad Homburg is not yeah. Hamburg? <laughs> I remember that came up. There's some geographical yep. conundrums at some point on the podcast. And that, that's one that's Well, you haven't given an answer but... away. Well, you have given one answer away, actually, but not oh, two. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. Would you like to kick us right, off sorry. then, Kim? Okay, yes. Yeah. So is this just any ATP tournament on the European clay that has existed in the past? And current, now on current ATP. It's oh, current, yes. Currently. Yes. Oh, okay. Right. Monte Carlo. Madrid. Barcelona. Rome. Munich. Estoril. Umag. Oh, Very that's a good, good one. That's She's a very good one. Now. Yeah. Um, Gestad. That's a correct answer. Bastard. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I was so annoyed I said that because I knew that was an obvious one there. I'm trying to now think of all the Casparu titles that he won. <laughs> um, the trio. Yeah, there is one more, isn't there? Um, there is. And I don't I don't know it. Um, what country is it in? Uh, I, I can't even tell you. Somewhere... Mm. Okay, what about Basel? That's an incorrect answer, I'm afraid. Um, you did actually already get the Swiss answer with Gestad. <sighs> um, you did do well. No one actually said the Hamburg Open, despite Kim. I was about... Yeah, I was about to say that, so but I, I was saving that it. That was a very handy win for Kim there, because she did actually have woo, one that she actually woo, gave woo. you earlier on, Joel, before we started. <laughs> Um, I was also is Belgrade one still? That is correct. I was, you would also okay. have Belgrade. Nice. Yeah. God, that was annihilation when you look at it like that. Oh, um, we, yeah. Shall I run you through some of the other ones yeah, you could have had? Um, yes. Well, this week, if you've been paying attention, um, oh Marrakesh. That's not in Europe, Joel. That is correct. Esterville was already said. That's my bad. Um, Munich was said. Barcelona was said. Um, there's actually a tournament. In Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is a, a one that's um might be a new one. Uh, that's an ATP two fifty. 
Uh, there's also Geneva. There's Lyon. And then when we head back after Wimbledon, there is Gastad, Bastard. There's the Kits Bullhell. Kits Bullhell. Uh, which yes. is the three. There's the um, the Umag in Croatia. Hamburg, Bosta, and Gastad. So that was the lot. Oh, okay. You did- you did pretty well. Um, I apologize to anyone in any of those cities that I've just said, because that was really not good. Well, I just want to say that I would have won that if that included golden swing events in South America, 100%. Well, I was it robbed. didn't. It was Europe, I was Joel. robbed. <laughs> I actually won one. Yay. Hurrah. Um, on that note, let's look at what's in our mailbag uh, for the week. We've had Stephen get in contact with us via uh email and he's asked with the clay court season beginning uh, he's asked us what is your favorite clay court tournament and why and who do you think might unlock their clay court potential this year uh so very interesting question thank you very much for getting in touch Stephen. uh chris i'm going to come to you favorite clay tournament and who do you think is gonna be starring on the clay this season i have to go for rome I went there last year and I just think it is a fantastic tournament. I think it's got a great atmosphere. I think some of the courts are some of the the best in the world. Um, I think that it's really is just well done. And I think it's like low key. It feels like a smaller version of a slam. So I think um, that would have to be my answer there. Um, And then... I've gone for, I think, Coco Goff. Not necessarily that she didn't unlock it last year, but I do think that she's going to unlock her potential based on maybe not having um, the perfect start to the year. Um, But she played so well in clay last year, and I think something great might be coming from her. And then I've put, as a backup, i put Quinn Wenzheng. I think, you know, she's had some good results on clay. She hasn't quite had the result we were looking for this year. So maybe she might put it together. So I've gone for some... um, some players who've shown some form previously, but maybe they'll do one even better. Mm. And Joel, what about you? Uh, for me, uh, I have gone uh, Charleston as one of my favourite clay court tournaments, just because it's so unique. Um, you know, I, I always bang on the drum about different coloured clay events, and I really do enjoy the the green clay events we we do see crop up on the on the WTA tour, and um, I just think it has a very distinct feel about it um that just marks it out from from everywhere else and um yeah i really really kind of like that kind of also it's got like kind of a family vibe to it which i don't feel you get elsewhere i like you know lena's fitting you know has chosen to come back at this event so um yeah i'm uh, a big charleston fan is she your pick for who might unlock their clay court potential is it Alina fitting this week she's up a break right now joel oh well Ooh. it must be no it's not um it is actually a player we've already mentioned. It is Daniel Medvedev. I think, you know, he's on a great run of form. Ooh. He is now, what, I think going to be seeded in like the top four seeds, you know, for yes. all the big events coming up. I think he's going to have that more protection than, you know, he has ever, you know, had previously when it has come to the clay court swing. And I just think there's just massive potential there. And I know that he gets frustrated by clay very very easily <laughs> and has lots of you know quotes and, and things to say about it but when you do look at his game and you look at the defensive aspects of his game I just think that should work really really well um on a on a clay court 
um, you know, from the from the you know the back of the you know from the back of the baseline. So I'm going Daniel Medvedev to unlock his. So you think the very slow hard court of Indian Wells was a foreshadowing of what his clay court game could do? Yes, because that I was think not I, a hard court, if you ask him. I genuinely think there's there's going to be. I think he's going to surprise himself with what he does on the clay this season. What do you think, mm. Kim? Well, I mean, in terms of favourite tournament, for me, it's got to be Monte Carlo. It's um, by far the most beautiful setting, I think, with the mountains and the sea and just the views are just stunning. So that will always be my favourite clay event. Um, and if anyone has never, you know, wants to go, just go. It's it's so good. Um, I think for me, though, I think Krachikova might do very well on the clay again. I know she's obviously unlocked her potential there before. Um, but I think Rabakina, you know, she's been in really good form. We haven't seen her sort of excel on clay before. But I feel like if she's going to do it, it's probably going to be this year, um, given how well she's been playing. I think that can definitely transfer over. And then I think Yannick Sinner as well. Like, I think given his, his good form, I think he's going to have a decent clay season um and he you know he's he's right up there really and um i mean i it's it's not that i don't think the likes of alcaraz and djokovic aren't going to excel but perhaps perhaps he will finally go one step further on the clay i yeah sliding very well even on hardcore sinner so maybe it will translate beautifully yeah um so i could see him maybe maybe picking up monte carlo actually and and sorry i I just want to actually um just say when I say Daniel Medvedev's going to unlock his clay court potential, by that I mean he's going to. I can definitely see him reaching like round three of Rome. I think that's a very <laughs> round realistic three of Rome. prospect. Okay. <laughs> N- not going to be back in the quarterfinals again of the French Open. Uh, yeah, yeah. He'll be able that to was reach a very round su- three. Come on, we all. That was a very surprising run that we were not expecting when that happened. I mean, I wasn't expecting. I don't think he was, but. I mean, I'm surprised you haven't thought he would go even further. You know, 2021, he reached the quarterfinal. 2022, a fourth round, you know. Maybe he will make it one round further and go semi-final, yeah. do you think, Joel? Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I, I would not be surprised. I'm hoping I think this doesn't can... happen just because Joel's predicted it now. <laughs> <laughs> I will wait with bated well, breath. We'll, we'll also be able to see if he can do that at Wimbledon because he'll be allowed to play this year. Uh Big news recently coming out uh, is that Wimbledon have confirmed that Russian and Belarusian players will be allowed to play this summer. Uh, they've climbed down from their the ban that they put in place last year. Um, I think the, the threat of having sort of fines and sanctions again from, from the ATP and WTA tours and the threat to the other British grass court events, um, and the fact they might have gone elsewhere. I think Wimbledon have sort of said, you know, we've been put in a bit of a difficult position. We're going to have to um, re- go back on our decision from last year and allow these players to play um, this year. I think what they're doing, though, is they are going to uh, make these players sign neutrality declarations, uh, which is in line with the UK government's guidance. And there'll also be a, a big, you know, ban on flags and symbols and anything that can be deemed to be supportive of the war on Russia and Belarus. Um, Joel, do you think this is the right decision? Do you, do you think they were sort of pinned into a corner here and they didn't really have much of a choice with this one? Or do you think, you know, there might have been decision makers in Wimbledon who thought actually, you know, it didn't really work last year, didn't really have any effect? Yeah, it's, I know, think... It's fair to let them play. I think, you know, I think... Th- this is a decision they probably didn't want to make. 
um and they've had to been they've almost sort of sort of been pushed i think into this position by threats um you know from the atp and wta i think there's been general kind of frustration in relation to to last year particularly with the ranking point situation um you know we talk about rabakina you know at the moment i mean she should have 2000 points really added to her name um that i think you know it's just sort of shone shone a light on it just being yeah like it just not feeling particularly kind of fair to players who who did well in the event so it's it's one of those where i yeah i i think they're probably through gritted teeth they've had to make this statement and again it's very polarizing we've already seen i think rabakina and, and kvitova you know, finalists in uh, Miami have very different opinions um, in relation to what has happened. Kvitova was very much like, I think the ban should have been in place, whereas Rabakina is obviously very happy that, um, you know, it's been, uh, you know, relieved. Um, so, yeah, it's it's such a tricky one. And I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm sort of glad this has happened because I think the ranking points for me is like, is a, is a big thing. And it, it it kind of brings us back to kind of the, the competition and if there are enough sort of I think guardrails and placeholders that are gonna make sure that nothing controversial happens during the tournament um, and I'm, I'm have no doubt Wimbledon will be very much on the beating heart of that then um, yeah I'm, I'm sort of I think all for the all for this decision. Mm. Chris what, what do you think do you agree with what they've done? I mean, I think we all saw this coming. It was There have been rumours about this for a while. And I think a big part of it has to be the fact that, you know, last year with Rebecca winning, she's Moscow born and raised. She switched allegiances as a teenager for the funding because of how competitive it was in Russia to get funding. Um, and that was in, in 2018. So not, not that long before all of this sort of kicked off. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But I mean, it didn't exactly make the point that Wimbledon were trying to make because then obviously the propaganda side of things was that um, obviously Russia was able to, to claim that she was a Russian player because her family still live in Moscow. That's where her residence um, was, I think, I believe at the time. Um, so it just all made a bit of a nonsense of it. And I think there's something where I think that Wimbledon probably has fallen on the wrong side of trying to make an impact kind of beyond where it should be playing a role. And I think they did overstep the mark here because I think discrimination is one thing. And I think discriminating based on nationality um, in this sense is kind of, of what it is because it is an individual sport. There is your flag next to your name. Um, but I think when it came down to this, um, it, it was it was not the result they wanted. It did not have the impact they wanted. And I think... Um, they have been kind of forced into the situation through the sanctions that they would have to um, allow uh, players from Belarus and Russia to play. So it's, it was all a bit of an exercise that backfired, I think. And um, and I think the fact that it is changing this year just shows the lack of impact to happen last year. I couldn't have put it better myself, Chris. I think I, I agree with all of the things you've just said and Phew. all the points raised. <laughs> so I, I won't I won't repeat. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think this is the right move. Um whether they, they like it or not, really. I never actually agreed with it in the first place. Um, in terms of how far it's gone, though, that was one question I did have. Maybe, Kim, this is for you in terms of you do you cannot be sponsored by a Russian company or organisation either. So it goes 
a bit further than some, for example, um, tournaments have in terms of making sure that you don't have allegiances in terms of a funding um, or kind of um, any form of, uh, I guess, kind of monetary benefit coming from Russia or being supported by the regime, so to speak. So that might be something that does have a bit of a nuance that might might be interesting. Some players will find that slightly difficult. Kachanov has mentioned that. Um, and maybe that is something where people will start to think a little bit more about, you know, the where they get their funding from and, and what that means for them uh, ongoing. That's a really great point. And yeah, if the players are being funded by the Russian Tennis Federation or have partnerships with means, Russian, exactly. then they may have to withdraw or break those partnerships. So they'll have to make that choice, won't they? So we may not see all the Russian and Belarusians back on the grass. We'll have to see about that one. Um, let's look at what we do have coming up this week. We've got five events this week, uh, headlined really by the, the WTA event out in Charleston, which is a 500 event out on the, the green clay. Uh, Svitolina has returned. Uh, she's on court actually, as we speak, against uh, Yulia Putintseva. I think Svitolina is, yeah, like you said, a breakup, Chris. So a, a good oh, return we are back so on far. Serve. She's been broken oh, back. Kim. On serve. Oh, oh famous it. last words. <laughs> Apologies. Um, but yeah, we've also got in the draw on Jabor and Jesse Pagula. They're the top two seeds. Uh, Belinda Bencic is there. Uh, Magda Goatnet, I think, is there. Uh, it's Azarenka a good Kazakina. draw. It's a good draw. It's a, it's strong a very field, large isn't draw it? as well. Mm. Well, the Americans don't do anything by halves, so um, we would we would hope for a big, solid draw out in Charleston. Um, I'll have to see how well Svitolina does. I wouldn't expect too much in her first first match or tournament back, personally. I, do you know what? I have actually enjoyed seeing, um, before the main draw, obviously qualifying, Sabine Lezicki came through, uh, I think got a, I think she got a wild card into qualifying, actually, um, and then came through into the main draw and has got mm. Dollarhide in the first round. I mean, I saw a couple of videos of her when she won her the final qualifying round match and she was obviously very emotional. It's amazing to see her, you know, we know how injury ridden, unfortunately, her career has been at times and to see her still have that motivation and drive and to see her in a main draw, you know, first round of a 500, it's, you know, to me, that is an amazing feat in itself. Um, given that, yeah, the the issues that, that she's you know had and plagued, I, unfortunately, I feel over her career. Yeah, no, that's really fantastic to see. Um, I thought Dollarhide was French for some reason. Um, am I thinking of a different player? Hundred percent, think maybe not. A different player. We've seen um, we've seen her play we've for the US. Dollarhide yeah, we have in, in the doubles. Uh, yeah, exactly. And like late night late night doubles in in Glasgow um, with about five other people in attendance. Yes. Um. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, staying in the states, so we've got the Houston event for the men, which is an ATP two fifty. So we've got well, the top four seeds are are all American, uh, Francis TFO, Tommy Paul, Brandon Nakashima and John Isner. So loads of Americans in the draw. Fernando Vidasco has a wild card. Um, another wild He's card. He's picking up the He's wild got... cards. Andy Murray doesn't need any more. Well, so is Jack yeah. Sock by the looks of things. But um, <laughs> my my money, I think, what about Christian Garin? He's been having some good form. Mm, I reckon yeah. he might come away with the title. Well, it's as good as like a golden swing tournament, really, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, so, it, uh... it might be a bit lower than a couple of them. <laughs> a one, two, five. Um, 
<laughs> uh, coming across to, um, well, not quite Europe, but close enough, uh, Marrakesh. We have an event in Marrakesh for the men as well, another 250. Lorenzo Massetti uh, is the top seed with Dan Evans as the second seed. Um, we'll have to see what Dan Evans can can do on the clay. Um you know, he's sort of been a bit quiet of late, I, I feel. But with with that sort of draw, I think it's relatively open for him, to be quite honest. So I'd hope he would come through. Well, the French number one um, is playing, I see. Richard Gasquet. <laughs> Richard Gasquet, oh, is he in He's also uh, playing, but not yet. <laughs> seeded six and seeded seven. Mm. And Hugo well, Gaston, Hugo out. Gaston also is playing, and uh, I I I didn't realise this. He he won today, and his last win on the tour was in the clay swing last season. So, um, I, I, yeah. Um, clay mode activated for Clay Gaston. mode, exactly. Aww. Clay mode activated. Um, I have enjoyed, though, because we also have one out in Estoril, which is also going on at the, at the moment. Um, ben Shelton from the United States has chosen to play that event over Houston. I'm not sure why why that is, but I'm kind of curious because there's been a lot of hype about Ben Shelton and I've seen him on, on hard courts of, of America, um, but I'm really curious to see how he gets on on the clay because he has not played a clay event uh, as a pro. Um, so I don't know if it's going to be like Bambi, Bambi on ice, but um, I'm quite curious to see, given the hype, how he gets on because I like to think, Chris, about Alicia Park's great, you know, great on one particular pick, surface yeah, yeah i yeah, know indoor hard indoor yeah. hardcore a little bit like an, annette contivate has not at, so far been able to do it anywhere anywhere else unfortunately um so i that's why i've got my eye a little bit on, on how ben, think ben shelton it's does a great story but i think it might be his first time in europe and there's pictures of him on clay mm. looks very happy i think it might just be one big holiday let's, let's see what he could do last time he was abroad he did bloody well <laughs> well the coastline around there is is pretty nice so uh, I hope he enjoys Enjoy himself it, but yeah <laughs> it's going to be a tough tournament he's got the likes of Hercage, Casper Ruud Roberto Bautista Agu I, I think he he might well win the title um, and Alejandro Davidovich Fikina so yes yeah, it's going to have something um, yeah quite tough for Ben Shelton if he was to to make his way through Bambi on ice or, or otherwise Um <laughs> Uh, Dominic Team is also in Estoril, uh, so we'll see what he can do. And uh, we do have actually another women's event, WTA, in Bogota, Colombia. It's a 250. Joel, you're not a fan of this straw, are you? Kim, you I, of... I'm the biggest fan of this. I'm the biggest fan of this straw, yes. Yeah, you were, you were having a go at it <laughs> earlier, um, saying it's a bit, well, I don't want to use the B word. Well, but, um, yeah, I know there have been are some... Are we allowed to use that word? There are word? some naysayers <laughs> who are saying this is maybe the worst... WTA 250 draw of all time. Um, so, listeners, if you want to check a draw and, and, and the history books and and see how bu- how budget the B word, how budget you think it is, but I am all for it, Kim, because I've just seen Francesca Jones, who got direct entry into the main draw, has just taken out Parisas Diaz in straight wow, sets. That's, that's a great result, which is a great result, exactly. Um, good. Yeah, particularly. I'm. I mean, I'm. I am not gonna lie. Expecting a few funnier results in Bogota. You know, the altitude. You know, the pressurized ball situation. It's a. Uh, it's a very unique Anything setting. Can I feel, for an event. Exactly. Eugenie so, um, Bouchard can get a win in her yeah. comeback match. That's just happened. She's back. Yeah, yeah. straight she sets win. Loads of new names I've I've not heard of in this draw, mm. but um, SST is there, so I expect a few long matches uh, featuring her as well. Um, would you like a bit of uh, a, a long Serena Tormo match? Sara Irani. Oh, is she not? 
retired. Number five seed, Kim. I thought she'd uh, retired. Am I imagining things? Maybe from the WTA tour. But yeah. Yeah. Well, Kim, we now live in a time when Martina Trevisan is in the WTA top 20. So you're definitely not imagining things. Harsh words, Joel. <laughs> Joel is really I'm not Trevor holding Sand's back. Biggest fan. I'm Trevor Sand's biggest fan. Um, yes. I was tempted to put Trevor Sand down for my player who's going to unlock potential on clay. But I mean, she kind of already has. Mm. But so I, I think she's she maxed might do it out. Again. I agree, yeah. Well, <laughs> she, she's already... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Peaked in, uh, yeah, in, in Miami. She's no. had a career-high um, ranking, so that's factually accurate, Joel. Well, very true, very true. But what we, I mean, we well, we shall see, we shall see. The clay court swing has begun, but listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly Podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. Uh, you can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website at tennisweekly.co.uk. And just before I finish, I must say, again, the Sports Podcast Awards are coming up. The deadline is also coming up to nominate us for Best Tennis Podcast. April 6th is the final uh, the final day to get your votes in. We would really, really appreciate it at Tennis Weekly HQ if you could vote for us. The link is in the description. So just go to the, the description and click the link and it'll take you through and you can vote for us there. We would really, really appreciate it. We want to win. We want to win. We're competitive people. And uh, yes, um, please vote for us. And uh, we will see you next Monday to wrap up all the action from the first week on the clay court swing of 2023 at Tennis Weekly HQ. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.